Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club, where we give you no nonsense, no academia or history books, only the most actionable selling tactics every single day from people who actually know how to sell. My name's Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. How are we doing, man? I'm doing great, Armand. We got a great show today. Yeah, today we've got James Bodden. He's a multiple-time sales development director. Today he's at Outbound View, and he's also the host of the Lunch Break podcast, which is another phenomenal sales podcast that you guys should check out. Nick, why should people listen to the episode with James today? James is one of the best prospectors that I've ever spoken with. The gold in this episode is when he talks about the step-by-step breakdown of a cold call that works, literally from how you open that call to how you deliver a value proposition, to how you actually close and get a meeting to have a conversation. Really great conversation with James. Fantastic. I took away a ton of stuff that I'm going to be using in my personal cold call toolkit. So let's get into this one. Three, two, one, roll the tape. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. James, welcome to the show. We're excited to talk to you, learn about who you are, what you're all about in a second. But we start every episode with three actionable tips. So let's hear your three. Yeah. So the first one would be you can record 15 native LinkedIn video messages with zero call to action strictly as a marketing play to build awareness. You kind of save that for your top prospects. Love it. What's number two? So commit to joining 
one of the many happy hour Zoom calls going on right now that you see on LinkedIn. Commit to it, publicly commit to it, comment on the post, show up, and then contribute to the conversation. Awesome. What's number three, James? So you can say this on your next cold call when somebody picks up. So, hey, my name's James. I'm calling from Outbound View. I also know I'm calling completely out of the blue. So before I go any further, do you have 30 seconds for me to share why I called? Oh, that's awesome. That's great. I love that one. I think a lot of people start cold calls way too weak. So we're definitely going to have to dig into that stuff. So Nick, what I'm really interested is, James, you have this awesome background working with SDRs and BDRs, and you see the emergence of Vidyard and Drift Video and all these other video platforms. And so could you take us through the step-by-step, what does it mean to record a native LinkedIn video and when you should use it? Yeah, absolutely. So the unique thing about, and the reason that I called out native LinkedIn video is traditionally, you could send video messages to people in a LinkedIn message via like a Vidyard video and send them a link and it may pop up with a little GIF or whatever. And that was great, right? It was still a differentiator and stuff like that. But the difference with the native video is you have to go through the mobile app. So you can't do this through the desktop. You go to your mobile app, you pull up the message, you hit the little plus sign and there's a video button. You record the video, you can record it right there and then it loads it in and there's no link. It pops up just like it would in a text message, right? When you send somebody a video and it's playable right there in the message, right? So nobody has to click on any link or anything like that. It's right there. They can see your face and it's much more powerful. And you can pre-record videos and load them in through the mobile app to get through that 15. So you could literally record 15 videos in your camera roll and then go to the app and just go to each person and add that video in from your camera roll and send it to them and it shows up right there in the message thread. So that seems like a really good way to differentiate yourself. One of the things like I see all the time with, with these video messaging is people holding up a whiteboard and it says, hey, James, are you doing something like that on your messages or do you feel like that makes you look like every other sales rep? I definitely did at one point when I discovered Vidyard. And yeah, I mean, that was the best practice, I think, and maybe still is. My videos that I send on LinkedIn end up like the freeze frame ends up me being like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like reaching to to press play or something. And, and I think that adds to some of it's just raw, like it's me holding my phone. It's not super polished. It's just, hey, I thought about you. I wanted to send you this quick video message and that's it, right? I've been running that play for the last couple of weeks and without fail, you at least get responses like, whoa, that was really cool. Thanks for doing that. Or it's just a differentiator, like you said. Yeah, well, it was really interesting. I got one of these after you mentioned this in our prep call. I literally got one in my mail and I was like, that's so cool. The guy got on and he was like, Armand, you have an awesome profile. I hope you have a terrific day. And he got off and I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and then he just said, great, great with great connection with you. And I'm sort of wondering, is this guy ever going to come back? And so I know he probably wants to sell me something at some point. I'm not going to preempt him selling me something. And so how do you actually turn this into a sale at some point versus just creating soft awareness over time? Yeah, look, I mean, I think you need to decide and segment the prospects that you're targeting and decide what you want your CTA to be. I'm a big fan of if you have a segment of your ICP that you want to target, you know, you want business from them now, then make that clear, right? That first 
video message should and could be something as clear cut as, hey, Armand, I see you're doing X, Y, and Z. We help people do that a little bit better. Any chance you'd want to talk? I mean, the unique thing about that native video aspect is that it makes it so personal that you can be a lot more direct about your intentions. And it actually comes off being way more genuine, right? Because now the game that we're having to play with LinkedIn messages is like, a, it's just what you said. Okay, when is this guy going to strike? What's his tactic? Let's take the guessing game out of, yes, I want to talk to you about this, this, and this. Is it a good time? I think it's a really interesting one. One thing that's really really funny about LinkedIn videos, you have the benefit of they can see your body language, they can hear your voice, and they can obviously see any notes that you put in there. So they can see the the writing that comes with it. Part of the reason you got to be so tailored with email is because you only get the writing. Like the tone doesn't come through, the body language doesn't come through. The fact that I'm not this weird rando and I'm like moderately clean cut and I don't just look like a sleazy salesperson, that stuff doesn't come through. And that's why you have to be so tailored on emails. You don't get that. Do you think it's harder to stand out on email or on a cold call where they're getting a million telemarketer calls? Mm, Yeah, I mean, I think the power of a cold call is your ability to pivot and react, right? You have an immediate reaction to what you're saying, whereas email is not that way. I have an analogy that I always kind of use when I think about cold calling versus email. Email is like fishing. You have a really good lure and a really nice setup, and you spend a lot of time picking the right spot, and you've done your research, right? And you've talked to other people, the fish are biting over here, right? And you got the right, everything looks pretty, and then you just go put it in the water. But that's as far as you can really go. You can't make the fish bite. You don't know how they're going to react when they see it. All you can really do is it's there. It's sent out and it's there. Cold calling to me is like a like spear fishing, right? Like, taking a spear and jamming it into the river over and over again. And it's much messier. It's much more labor intensive, but you have a much more better chance of like actually getting your hands on a fish and walking away with it. If once you get them in your grasp, you can keep them on the line and get them out of the water. So it's like on a cold call, you can say, maybe go into it thinking, I'm going to say this, this, and this, and then very quickly realize I'm better off telling a real quick story about a case study and driving them towards a meeting that way, right? So I think you have, the phone is to me always going to be an opportunity to differentiate over email just because you have that ability to pivot real time. So James, I think you're pretty well known as one of like the top prospectors using the phone. Can you talk us through what goes into effectively cold calling? And I kind of want to hear every single piece of this from getting a list ready to build how you're actually blocking your time, if at all, what tactics you're using. Like you gave us in the beginning what you're actually saying, but can you walk us through your best practices for cold calling that that people can actually rip out and use after listening here? What I experienced as a frontline SDR was that when I would run a campaign, the first four days were always data cleansing. (laughs) It was always figuring out that most of the information that I had wasn't correct wrong person, not at the company anymore, bad emails, right? So it's almost a little bit of a different conversation. Let's assume that you've got that under control, right? And you've got a list that you've already gone through that either first four days of doing it yourself, or you've got a system in place where it's cleansed and you're delivering it to your team that way. 
So real quick on that, I mean, Armand, I know one of the strategies you've always used is you just picked one day a week and you did an hour block of cleaning out the data, making sure that it was right so that you're not dealing with the distractions during your block. It's insane. And so on day one, you're going and finding the accounts. On day two, and these are the last two hours of the day, you're finding the contacts, the people. You find out that everybody's not working for the company anymore, or their phone number's wrong. And then on day three, you finally get to teeing up the emails or the cadences and whatnot. But there's so much manual work. And I honestly, I haven't found a good way around it other than saying, can we outsource this and have somebody else do it? So you talked about the opener going right at the beginning. And so instead of saying, how's your day going? Or did I catch you at a bad time? You're saying, hey, I know I'm calling you out of the blue, but before I go further, can I get 30 seconds to tell you why I'm calling? Right. And so what's the psychology behind that? Because there's a little bit of Sandler in there too. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think of the anatomy of a cold call as like three different parts, right? And I think of it like the way we were taught to do creative writing in school right? So you have an intro, that's a couple of paragraphs, and then you have the body, and then you have the ending, right? Like that's how we were taught to write stories. That's the way that I always think about a cold call, right? So the intro has to be very direct. You can't be ambiguous. You can't confuse people because that puts people off. If I'm reading a story and I can't figure out what the hell it's about within the first couple of sentences or paragraphs, I'm probably not going to keep reading it, right? If it's not, if it doesn't catch my attention, right? So that first part you're being direct. You're not beating around the bush, right? You're not saying like, literally I've been trained before to be like, just, Hey, like, and that's your like, Hey, <laughs> and it's like, the idea is that you're creating this tension and you're, it's like, no, just for me, it's always, <laughs> it's always work to just be super direct. Hey, my name is James. I'm calling from ABC company. And I'm also calling completely out of the blue. Before I go any further, I, do you have 30 seconds for me to share why I called? And I even make this face. I think making that face and like shrugging your shoulders, I know that sounds silly, but when I don't do it, I feel like I get more people that tell me, no, I don't have time. But when I'm like using body language to help kind of, uh, yeah, 30 seconds, like that's all I need. I had somebody thank me yesterday for saying that. She was... She was like, no, I've, uh, I thought you were somebody else calling in. I'm, about, I'm on a conference call right now. And I was like, well, that's exactly why I asked that question. And she said, thank you. You can call me tomorrow. The psychology behind it to me is just that you're setting a tone of, I'm going to be direct here. I'm going to tell you why I'm calling as quickly as I can. And I respect your time because I'm not barreling into a pitch, which is something that I always struggled with on cold calls. Nick and I go back and forth because we have super different cold calling styles. And Nick loves to use this right off the bat, right? Isn't this basically what you do, Nick? Yeah, this is really similar to what I say. I I say, hey, James, this is Nick Zagelski calling with X company. I know you didn't expect me to call you this morning. Do you mind if I take one minute to tell you why I'm calling? And then you can let me know if it makes sense for us to speak. I add that last part. It's kind of similar to what you're doing, James, but I'm like, again, trying to give them the control. The idea is I'm being a professional. I'm telling you who I am where I'm calling from. I don't want you to think like I'm the person saying, hey, the IRS is suing you. Like you got to be a professional upfront. I think you're right. You need to acknowledge that you are interrupting somebody's day and then give them control. Like I'll tell you why I'm calling and you can tell me if it makes sense for us to speak or not, because that's a whole goal of a cold call, right? Is to share the reason that you think you should have a conversation with that person. And then if it's not a fit, it might not be a fit. 
So yeah, that's mine. Armand's is like completely different. And so when he and I used to work together, like we would, I'd be like, what are you doing? That doesn't work. And he'd be like, stop, you sound silly. And so part of it is you have to take your own style and I can't replicate what Armand does. And he probably can't replicate what I do. But the fact that you and I are a little different, James, is good. I think it's, it's good. Like you've got to have your own style with it, but you've also got to test and make sure it actually works. Yeah. A lot of reps are so afraid. They're terrified to show personality in sales. You've got these like crazy personalities in, on sales floors. And then whatever reason, they pick up the phone and all of a sudden they're shell-shocked. And that's the easiest way to lose clout with an exec is they start using the little uptones, which is my biggest tick. If you say, we're a platform for this, or we sell this kind of software, that little uptick at the end of your value prop makes you sound like you're 12 years old. Instead, when I pick up the phone, I, I do it a little bit differently. I lead with context super hard to get people sitting up because I'm a little bit more of a bulldog sales style. And I say, hey, we work with a number of Andreessen portfolio companies. It's Armand at Carta. Have you heard our name tossed around? And that's my way of going into it and showing my personality. But take some control. Do a little bit of pattern break. If you just jump in and you say, hey, uh, how's your day going? Or did I catch you at a bad time? Great. Let me count the 70 other times that I've heard those types of cold call openers. I mean, a lot of times people won't even answer, yes, I have 30 seconds. They'll be like, who are you calling from? And this is something that I don't think maybe gets clarified with this particular approach is I've heard people, reps that I've coached, use that intro. And then they say, who are you calling from? And they say, yeah, my name's James. I'm calling from ABC Company. Do you have 30 seconds for me to share why I called? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. That 30 seconds isn't really for a yes or no. It's just, what are you calling about? Okay, yeah, real quick, 30 seconds. I'm calling from blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not going to ask them again for 30 seconds. I'm only going to ask that one time. Exactly. And you, you've got to piecemeal the cold call. I think of the cold call as this big hourglass that the sand is constantly spinning down. And every time you handle a good objection or you add a little bit of value, you get a little bit more sand and eventually you got to cut it off. And way too many reps burn their time or burn the sand by doing a double opener where they'll be like, who, who, are, who is this? And you're like, Armand from Carta. And you sound like the sheep that's about to be slaughtered. You're like, oh, shit, what a foolish person I am to be making this call. So let's get into the actual value prop itself. So you've already said your opener. You've earned the additional 30 seconds. How are you structuring your value prop? And are you pulling in any tailoring into that value prop based on who you're calling? Yeah, so the way that I think about a value prop, there's a million different ways to convey it. Sometimes you maybe do it through a story, through a use case. That's one way that I have seen work, basically turn your value proposition to, okay, really quick, I just want to tell you a story. So we worked with ABC Company, the customer service team over there was struggling and we helped them do X, Y, Z, right? And, and so that's, you're communicating your value prop via a quick story. I found that to be effective, but really for me, it's identifying the key jobs to be done for those people that you're calling, right? And just tying whatever you're calling for to those jobs to be done, right? So it's always persona-based for me. So it's, hey, the reason for my call today is, and sometimes I'll even kind of, after you get that permission, it's like, look, the only reason I'm even calling you like this is because we work with people like you at companies like blah, blah, blah. And how we help them is this piece of software we have, it helps them do this, this, and this a little bit quicker. 
Does that even sound remotely interesting to you at all? Well, you said something that was kind of interesting and I liked. You were like, the only reason I'm calling you is we work with other VPs of sales and you're a VP of sales and we've helped the other ones do X, Y, or Z. Like with this, does it make sense for us to talk? I think a lot of times when you call somebody out of the blue, the first half of that is almost like a blur for them. And because you might make a hundred cold calls in a day, that might be the first call that they ever engage with that week. And so for you, it's a comfortable domain for them. It might not be. And so Armand, you talk about this a lot, slowing down a little bit, but also a lot of people, even if they've given you permission to tell why you called, their mind is finding a way to get out of that conversation. And I think that's a lot of the reason that sometimes you hear, well, I'm not the right person to have this conversation with, but James, you've sold what you sell dozens of times. And so you know that you do work with VPs of sales and the VP of sales is the right person for you to be talking to. And so I think you give yourself a little bit of clout's the wrong word. You prove that I do work with other VP of sales. And so you eliminate that objection. Armand, I don't know if your team uses that at all. Yeah. I mean, James, I loved hearing what you said about, hey, when I'm working with other types of people, it typically looks like X. We're huge on, uh, I push typically language all the time because I want it to sound like social proofing. Like I've been here before. I know what your problems are. Typically when I work with other CFOs or when I work with series A companies, problems start to look like X, Y, and Z. Is that even moderately relevant for you guys? Right. Versus other people will go in and say, well, the reason for my call is company X is the leading software in this. And then here's 17 features. And let me just hope that you put together pieces. It should never lead, a value prop should actually never lead with your solution. It should actually lead with their problem and then your answer to just fixing that problem. Because that leads into a strong ending and a strong call to action, which to me is always, here's what happens next. That's a fantastic phrase to transition into, you know, you've gotten some feedback. Okay, so you give them the middle, the pitch, this is what we do. This is how we help. Any of this sound interesting? Yeah, sounds interesting. Okay, great. Well, look, I know I'm already a minute over the time that I told you I was going to take. So here's what happens next. We book a time. You accept the invite. Then it's a call to action about next steps, right? You've confirmed, okay, we seem to have something to talk about. Great. Here's what happens next. We'll set up a time to talk for 30 minutes. When I'm not calling you out of the blue, how does later this week or next week sound? And get it booked for you right now. Because I think a lot of reps default to throwing things into the prospects court way too much, right? So it's you go through your pitch and does any of that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we've got some initiatives around that, but, you know, it's not anything, um, you know, that we're too eager to do right now. Right. Okay. And then a lot, I feel like what a lot of reps would do in that scenario would be like, well, when would be a good time for me to reach back out? The better thing to say would be, yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot. Right. And typically on this first call, that's a common response. Sometimes depending on how it's going, I, I will sometimes even throw in like, I'm not delusional enough to think that I'm calling you at the right moment. And my thing that's important to me is going to be important to you. You know, like the more self-deprecating you can get about the situation and the absurdity of the situation, the better, right? Because then you can pivot that when somebody like, yeah, that sounds, 
it's something we've thought about, or it's kind of like you, they've kind of in the middle, you say, okay, yeah, I hear that a lot. Here's what happens next, right? We can set up a meeting. You can learn a little bit more. And at that point, it's a 20 minute meeting. If you leave that conversation and you decide not to go any further, you've at least learned about X, Y, and Z. So I'm big, I'm huge on leading to the end of the call with that segue of like, all right, well, I'm in control. I'm calling you for a reason because we help people like you in these three areas. If any of that sounds interesting, here's what needs to happen next. It's not a matter of you deciding whether or not to take a meeting. If we could be a relevant partner, this is what goes down. This is how it's going down. I think that mentality is just hugely helpful, just even for your morale throughout the session. I love the delusional line, Armand. It's the disarmingly blunt thing you talk about. It's showing your personality. It's being a real person. I'm totally going to steal that because you're right. The people that you're calling have 500 other things that they're focused on. And whatever solution you're calling about is a part of their job. It's all of your job, but it's a part of theirs. And so I think that's so real to be like, I'm not delusional enough to think that this is the number one thing that you were thinking about right here, right now. I'm wondering if it's on your important but not urgent list, and maybe we can talk about it for 15 minutes at a time that's convenient for you. I feel like we could talk about this forever, but I know we're coming up on our time here. Armand, you want to get into our final question? Yeah, let's do it. So James, this has been a fantastic discussion. We've talked a lot about great habits, but then we are also wholly aware that there are a ton of things that sales reps need to stop doing immediately. And so if there was one thing that every single sales rep needs to stop doing today so that they can be more successful, what would that be? Frontline salespeople oftentimes will wait to be instructed and wait to be told this is how we're going to run this play, which sometimes it's a systematic organizational thing and you can't really do anything about it. I think way too many salespeople wait for things to happen for them instead of going out themselves and experimenting and iterating and trying different things. If I could pick one word that's absolutely synonymous with outbound sales, it's experimentation. And so if you're not experimenting in any form or fashion, you're going to fall behind really, really quick. I mean, I always tell reps, don't listen to my advice. Don't listen to Nick's advice. Don't listen to James's advice. Take all the different tools out there, go try them all, and then build your own toolkit. Because nothing that I do word for word is going to work for you. So this has been great, James. Uh, last thing I want to do is give you a chance to leave the audience with anything left. Anything else you want to give the audience before we close up here? You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me pretty easily there. And always happy to talk about anything top of funnel sales related. Fantastic. Love it. Alrighty, folks, this has been a great episode. Please stay tuned for a one minute recap email coming up quick. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? 
Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. All right, everybody, your top four takeaways here for the episode with James Bodden include the first, which is avoid the double intro. Once you've been given the permission to interact, even if they say, remind me, who, who is this or what company are you calling from? Tell them and then get right into the reason for your call. Don't do the double intro. The second is when you're closing your cold call, don't ask them, what do you think would be a good next step? Say, here's what happens next and then guide them through the call. The third piece is open your cold calls or use this to disarm people where you say, hey, I'm not delusional enough to think that I'm calling you at the right moment. And the thing that's important to me is top priority for you. And then go into your value prop and ask them if it makes sense or not to move forward. And then the last piece is a value prop should never lead with your solution. It should lead with your customer problems. And then you basically just tell them, hey, we're going to solve those problems for you. Nick, those are our four takeaways. How can people help us out here? Awesome. Most podcasts are going to ask you to rate, review, subscribe. I've got one thing. Please subscribe to 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. It's the number one way that you can help us out. So please click that button, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next show. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.